0: Well, it really is a joy to be back preaching this morning, and uh, if uh, I met some new people uh, before the meeting, so please join us for coffee afterwards. Um, we'd love to get to meet you, and we try and certainly meet everyone as as much as we can after the Sunday meeting. So if you are new, please stay, and, and I'd love to have a cup of coffee with you. I like coffee, so I'm happy to have three or four or five cups of coffee. Um, so as Helen said, we're doing this series on looking at vision as we go forward, and um, I really trust that your term has started well. Everyone back into the routine of work and, yeah, I see you yawning there, yes, (laughs) work and school and getting back into the groove, all right, and I hope hope it hasn't been too stressful and, and too painful for you. But last week, I started on speaking about future church, and I just want to connect in This morning to what I said last week. So I spoke about future church and some trends that um, uh, people have been speaking about in terms of church growth and things that have particularly um, uh, had influence over the church since COVID. And there were three things that I just highlighted last week, and I just want to mention them again this morning. The first was the disappearance of people in the church life, uh, in church life generally, in the world of people my age and older. That's one of the the demographics that hasn't come back to church after COVID. And there are various reasons for that. And we need need to be aware of that as we prepare for the future because the truth is people of my age have financed the church, volunteered in the church, built the church for the last 20 years. And if these kind of people are are no longer going to be around in the future, then our job surely as people is to prepare Gen X, Gen Z, millennials to take the church on in terms of what God has for them and their generation. Amen. And so that's the first thing that I looked at. Uh, Secondly, I, I did mention this sense of trying to be open and really listening to people, particularly people that are younger than us, to hear what the real issues are for them in terms of their lives, that we can engage the gospel with those issues and help them to take the church forward into the future. Right, that was the second thing I spoke about. And thirdly, I looked, about, uh, looked at the thinning line between digital life and real life, and that our gi- digital lives can help us to live better in the real world, and that the one is not necessarily the enemy of the other. So I looked at Taylor Swift. Remember Taylor Swift, who has had this amazing digital campaign which enabled her to sell more vinyl copies of her, of her last album, Midnight's, than the Beatles did in a week, and Elton John did in a week, and Queen did in a week. Isn't that amazing? And we don't even use vinyls anymore. We mainly stream our music. And she's had this amazing grasp of, of digital um, presence that fuels the live thing that she does. And Ticketmaster sh- shut down when they started advertising her era's world tour. Two, uh, I, sa- I said to you, two million tickets in one day shut down Ticketmaster. They had to reboot the whole system. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So her digital presence fueling what she does in, in, in the live context. And so I was trying to encourage you and say that as we go forward into church, uh, in, in, into, into the future, church has to keep that balance of the digital and the live working together. And that we want to do our best to stream, live stream our meetings so that when you can't be here, you can at least connect in. And when you connect in, it feels like you're here in the meeting And hopefully that that will fuel, the two will fuel each other. So that's what I spoke about in the first section of my message. And secondly, I just spoke about being aware of different sized cultures. When a church is 40 people, it functions and is led very differently to when a church is 400 people. And when a church is 400 people, it is led very differently and community is formed very differently than when it grows larger than that. And we have to recognize that. And all of us have a favorite culture, size culture of what we want church to be. And sometimes the church we belong to is not, part, is not that culture. It's not, it's not, it may be, maybe you really like a church of, of 50, and now you've come into a church of many hundreds. And how, how does it function, and how does leadership work, and how do I find relationship and keep keep my sense of family within the context of something bigger? And so I really want to encourage you uh, to listen to that uh, message from last week um, as it forms the basis of what I want to say today. And each of those different size cultures has great challenges and great opportunities for us as we seek to preach the gospel. And so today I want to look at a part of our vision, as you know if you've been in this church for any length of time, Our vision is rooted in Christ, planted in family, and fruitful in life. And I want to look this morning a little bit more at what it means to be fruitful in our lives. Jesus made this promise. He said, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Amen? So we want to bear much fruit in our lives. We want our lives to count. We want to live in a way that produces fruit not only for us in a selfish way, but for other people also to enjoy. And so I want to look at a scripture since we did preach through 1 Peter. I thought I would start with something that we have already looked at just to form the basis of what I want to say. So look, please look with me at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 to 10 in your Bibles, if you've got it on your phone. Peter writing, and he says this, The end of all things is near, therefore... Be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And so... My message title this morning is Stewards of God's Grace. All of us are called to be stewards of God's grace. And you see the section ends with Peter's encouragement to use our gifts, whatever they are, to serve one another as stewards of God's rich and varied grace to other people. And we do that as we faithfully just live our lives. In other words, Peter is speaking about being fruitful. That something of your life is a testimony to others of the goodness of God to you. That's what it means to be a steward of God's grace. And it's such a wonderful, wonderful um, thing because it encapsulates all of who we are and the gifts that we've been given and what God has put in our hands to do with our lives. And I've just this week, because I've been preparing for this, just been looking in the media just to see different testimonies of God's grace and goodness. And how people speak of that in just really natural ways. So did you see that Coco Gauff, who won the U.S. uh, Open Tennis last night when they interviewed afterwards? uh, She said this. She's a teenager. She said, It's amazing that God allows you to go through trials and difficulties so that moments like this are all the more sweeter. How beautiful. It's a testimony of God's grace in her life. She didn't get up and say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. She just said in, in the conversation, you know, God allows tough things so that when we have a moment like this and we are victorious, it is sweeter. Beautiful testimony of God's grace. I was watching, because I like rugby, and as you might know, that the, the World Cup has started. And uh, I was watching, um, they were interviewing Sia Colusi, who, who's the South African captain, uh, about how he prepares for a match. And they were they were asking the coaches and what, and then he said this. He said uh, they said, "What music do you listen to?" So he said, uh, and this is the this is the kind of press conference for all the press, all the French press. He says, "Well, I mainly listen to worship music. In particular, I like um, Elevation. I like Bethel. I like Maverick City. Sometimes I listen to Hillsong." And I thought, how wonderful. And then they said, well, why do you listen to this kind of music? He said, well, because it calms me down. He says, all, all, all the week the coaches are trying to hype us up and tell us what we need to do and how we need to focus. And I found when I'm about to play, I want to find a sense of peace so that I can just play well. And I listen to worship music. How cool is that? Testimony of God's grace with the gift that you have. He's a great sportsman. That's his gift. And he's using it to show something of God's Grace through his life, Amen. The third example I want to think uh, um, uh, is a music example because I'm a musician. How many of you know the Mercury Prize was awarded this week? The Mercury Prize is one of is the one of the premier prizes for musicians in this country. And on Saturday, it was won by a group called the Ezra Collective. Anyone heard of the Ezra Collective? Yes. And how wonderful is this? They're all Christians. Topic Colesso, who leads Jubilee Church in Enfield, his son is part of that band, and they're all part of the church, and they all get on, and they love Jesus, and they play great music, and they won the Mercury Prize. Come on. That's so wonderful. I'm talking about just through your hands, the grace of God flowing, whatever gift you have, that you are stewarding His grace with whatever gift you have, and it's not just for you, it's a blessing for other people, and it blesses people and gives them a sense of fulfillment as they listen to how you use your gift or how you demonstrate your gift. We are all called to be stewards of God's grace, whatever your gift is. And so I want to look at the context because Peter finishes with that encouragement. But context, when we look at the scripture, context is always king. We need to understand why Peter is saying we should use our gifts. And this is the context is verse 7. Verse 7 is this, the end of all things is near. That's the context of what Peter's saying. Jesus is coming back soon. The end of all things is near, says Peter. You get what I'm saying? The early Christians, the first Peter, Paul, all of them lived with an absolute conviction that Jesus was coming back. And because Jesus was coming back, it changes everything. It changes how you focus, what you spend your money on, how you love people, how you choose to serve, because Jesus is coming back. And I'm getting ready for Jesus to come back. And I was just thinking of my own life and wondering how much that really motivates me in terms of my passion and my focus week on week, that really I'm doing all of this because Jesus is coming back and I'm getting ready. Amen? And so I want to encourage you this morning that we start to live with that deep conviction in our lives that changes everything. Do you notice what, it's, what Peter says? He says, that brings an alertness into your life. Be alert, therefore. Be alert and be sober-minded. In other words, when you are alert to the knowledge that Jesus is coming back, it motivates you to be sober-minded, not to be boring and not to be kind of like, Unhappy. I'm not talking about that kind of soberness. I'm talking about a soberness that enables you to process why you are motivated, what you are aiming at, what you think is valuable in your life. You are able to do that, and it says prayerfully to consider your life. Do you notice that? When the context is, Jesus, I know you're coming back. It helps me to process in a sober way, a thoughtful way, when I'm alert to that truth that he's coming back enables me to process all of my life and the judgments that I make in a prayerful way that considers his kingdom in all that I do. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying. And too many of us, I want to encourage you, too many of us live our lives just letting life happen to us. We float through life, and some life happens, and this happens, and we kind of roll with it, and we roll with that. But so much more of our lives would be fulfilling if we were really aiming with all of our passion and our vigor and our energy at what God had called us to do, that we weren't just letting circumstances happen to us, but we are, throughout the vision that we have for our lives, we're saying, God, I'm going for your call, whatever it is. And that transforms all of how we live and focuses it like a laser so that we're more effective with our gifts, amen, and so this is what he's saying, you see there is the instruction to use your gifts in verse 10 as a faithful steward of God's grace, but the instruction is you do that because you know and understand that Jesus is coming back, and that encourages you to live differently and change your perspective with urgency and passion so that you can be sober-minded and pray, yeah, and we're going to pray, September. What does prayer do? Well, prayer shapes your priorities. It shapes your focus because you are setting your mind on something completely different. You're setting your mind on God's kingdom. And as you set your mind on on God's kingdom through prayer, it shapes your, begins to shape how you see things and how you value things and what you're aiming at when you pray. And that's why we want to pray together. We want the kingdom to shape our lives from the inside out. And then, do you notice, once Peter has reminded us this, that an alert, sober-mindedness produces prayer in your life, in verse 8, he reminds us of something else. And he says, the overarching motivation for your life is love. Do you notice that? He says, love covers a multitude of sins. Therefore, love each other deeply. That's what we're called to do in the church is to love, love each other um, deeply. In other words, if the end is coming, if we know that Jesus is coming back and we're going to spend eternity with Stuart and I are going to spend eternity together and Alex and Johnny and I are going to spend, and Clive, I better get on and love them. Better get to know them. Love them. Why? We're going to spend eternity together. We're going to be forever in God's presence. Joyfully, we will recognize each other. So come on, guys. Part of that is preparing. Let's love each other well now. Yes? That's what church community is. We are dispensers of God's love and grace and kindness to each other. Love each other deeply. That is the, the basic thing that is the overarching motivation. It covers a multitude of sins. And I love Wayne Grudem, he's a theologian. He says this, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. Oh man, if only we can get that right, huh? In God's church. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion Every action is liable to misunderstanding, and conflict abounds to Satan's perverse delight. Yes? We can't afford not to forgive and love and get on with each other. We can't afford. The only one who gets glory in that sense is the devil. (laughs) We don't want him to get glory. We want Jesus to get glory. And the best way we can do that is to love each other, forgive quickly, overlook offenses, and to link arm in arm and say, Jesus is worth all my effort, and the kingdom must come. Mm -hmm. Amen? And so do you notice then that uh, Peter gives a very specific way that we show love to each other in the church? You see it? It's there. Offer hospitality to each other. (laughs) This is the way that we really show love to each other is to offer hospitality. We open our homes readily. And do you notice, it's fascinating to me that, that Peter adds, without grumbling. Do you notice that? And I had a look at the Greek, and the Greek is fascinating because it implies in the use of the Greek that it acknowledges that hospitality, the practice of hospitality can often become costly, burdensome, And even a little irritating. Yes? And so the Greek is beautiful because it has this implication of someone muttering in the background. You know, muttering? Oh, God, they're coming again. Jesus, do I really have to do this? I've got to serve coffee again. And I mean, it's just like there's so many people and some of them are ungrateful and I don't want to really do this. God, please, can't you get someone else to come on, God, not again? That's the implication of the Greek. It's like a little bit of muttering. And Peter says, no, part of showing love basically to all of God's people and those that are not His people is that you open your home, you show hospitality without grumbling. Wow, what a powerful thing. And the, this is the, then he gets to, the, to um, the heart of what he's saying in verse 10. And here's the logic, here's the flow of this paragraph just to... Conclude this little section. Because you know the end of all things is near, because you are alert to that fact, because that is shaping how you think and what you value in a sober, careful, thoughtful way, because that in turn is producing prayerfulness in your life, that you're considering what God says about all things, because you love all of God's people in an ungrumbling way, which enables you to be hospitable and open your home and your life to whoever God sends. Because of all of that, in the forefront of your mind, then each of you should use whatever gift you have to, received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. It's beautiful. And here's the thing. Remember, I said a couple of weeks ago, a steward administers something that is not theirs. The gift of God's grace in our lives is not ours to hold. He saves us by his grace, he blesses us with by his grace, he gives us gifts by his grace, and they are not for us to be selfish with and to withhold. They are to give away. They are to, by definition, not to be hoarded, they are to be given freely lavishly as you receive God's gift freely so you freely give God's gift through your life what that's what what Paul says amen so we are we are just dispensers of God's grace we are just I don't know I'm trying to choose the right words we are those that give away We are those that don't hoard. We are those that lavishly let the grace of God come to us and flow through our hands and we give it away. Gifts of grace released through our hands. And I love this word here which says God's grace is manifold. It's many colored. It's varied. I love that. Why? Because it means that you and I don't have to be the same in how we give away God's grace, because we're all different, and we all have different gifts, and um, one of the um, theologians that I read puts it like this, when a ray of light breaks into a spray of many colors, so each of us receive God's grace at a different angle, at a different way, and it flashes it back broken into some fresh color. Isn't that beautiful? It's like light coming through a prism, and we receive God's grace. We also receive the same grace, and the prism of God in our lives dispenses it, and it's just so varied, and it's beautiful, and everyone is taken care of, and everyone is blessed through the grace of God in our lives. Someone say amen. Someone get Pentecostal. Come on. In other words, we are simply stewards. And you know what Paul says? He puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says in verse 10, I am what I am by the grace of God. And all of us should be able to say this. I am what I am by the grace of God. With the gifts that I have, he's made me who I am and I celebrate who I am. And I'm not just like Andrew and Andrew's not like me. And that's okay because God, God has made us different. But then Paul adds this. He says, at the same time, he says, and his grace to me was not in vain. What is Paul saying? What is the idea by, by, by about what, what Paul is saying? He's saying that he put all of his efforts in his life into the God-inspired effort of his life that was there by his grace. He added all his energy to what God had gifted him to be and to do. It it, it implies that we are bad stewards if we hoard the manifold wisdom of God, if we keep it to ourselves and we don't give it away. Then Paul says, actually, if you are living with that kind of uh, concept of grace in your life, it is useless. The grace of God is in vain because you're not giving it away. You must give it away. All of us must give it away. Am I being too strong, South African here, saying must? You must give it away. You can't hoard it. You can't keep it to yourself. By definition, it must flow through your hands and touch other people. And so that's what it means to be fruitful. Whatever your gift is, serve others with your gift. Give grace away to them. It's a vital part of being fruitful. And here, I want to just finish with this. As we look at the body, as we look at the church, it's so important to know that each gift, whatever our gift is, is so important to the body of Christ. And even if we see it as something small, it is a blessing to God's body. So, do you know this? There are 50 passages of Scripture. Wow, it is hot in here. 50 passages of Scripture which speak about the ministry of serving others, being a minister of God's grace to other people. And it's important that we are all grace givers. We are all facilitators of grace. I'm just going to mention them. You can look them up in 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 your own time. They're all one another's, which are demonstrations of God's grace. Here we go. Love one another, pray for one another, help one another. Greet one another, talk with one another, be in harmony with one another, accept one another, teach one another, admonish one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, show humility towards one another, show hospitality towards one another. But the ministry of loving one another is the overarching thing of all these. Amen. That's how we live grace. It's not just this mystical kind of like, oh, I'm so glad God saved me. and No, no, it's very practical. Grace is very practical, and we give it away, whatever gift we have. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. And it's so practical, and at the same time, as spiritual. I love the fact that, uh, I don't know if you know this, but a handful of guys that come and uh, help us to do stuff around the building, and they've made a number of counters, the coffee counter, there's another a new counter upstairs so that the kids can um, check in. There are tables upstairs, handmade tables. Their gift is carpentry. They're, they have ministered grace to this church through their gift. How beautiful is that? You want me to make a table for you? It's not going to look like that. <laughs> so practical. Grace gift, using your grace gift and letting it flow to serve the church. Perhaps you are hospitable and gifted to serve in the coffee shop or to help someone help get out of debt with their finances. Perhaps your gift is teaching or helping kids in the church or playing or singing in the worship. Perhaps you are able through God's blessing in your life to be generous financially. Perhaps you're able to serve as a life group leader. Perhaps you're able to help serve by loving people at the newcomer's lunch. There are so many things, big and small, that you can put your hand to to give grace away to others and to be fruitful. Come on. All of us should be able to say, I've got something in my hand. I'm going to use it. I'm going to be a grace dispenser to God's people and to those that don't know him. And I want to encourage you with this, that we all find a deep-seated sense of fulfillment and peace when we are involved in giving grace away and not just receiving it. And that's not me. That is Jesus. He said... It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so much of church life can be, oh, what does it do for me? And what does it do for me? <laughs> I want to turn it on ahead and say, well, perhaps we should think a bit more like Jesus and say, what can I do to give grace away? Not just be a receiver. Kids program for my children, worship that I like, preaching that I like, hospitality that I like. Finances for my thing, my charity, so my charity can function. Finances from God's people. No, no, no. What about giving grace away? What about turning it on head? So I'm going to do all that I can to give grace away to all these areas. Amen? And then there are other examples that are more spiritual that are listed in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. But I think too often in the church we land on these portions before we think about what Peter's saying. And there's lots of gifts that are mentioned, uh, and I'm sure there are many more than are, than are listed in, the, in these portions. But what about the gift of encouragement, like Joseph, who is nicknamed by the apostles Barnabas, son of encouragement, Acts 4. That was his gift. It was a God-given gift to, to, in his life that he could encourage other people. Perhaps you're an encourager, too. Please use your gift. Amen. So many people need encouragement. So many people need to be greeted with a smile and just say, oh, so good to see you. Let let me link arms with you for this moment, and let's go go for it. What about um, the gift of prayer? Epaphras, Paul said, was always wrestling in prayer for you so that you can stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Epaphras played for the church in Colossae and Laodicea and Heropolis. That was his gift. Maybe you've got a gift of prayer. Maybe you can stand with other people and just say, I'm praying with you. I want you to know this week I'm praying for you. Send a text. Don't close down social media altogether. right? What about the gift of hospitality? Like Nympha. Anyone heard of Nympha? Wonderful woman who used to host a church in her house in Colossians 4. We know that. She hosted people in her home for years. Strangers over the years. Just because she loved God's people. Well, perhaps that's something of your gift. That you have a gift for hospitality and you love opening your home. And just blessing people. I love those kind of people. Huh? Mark? I've been many, many, you and Mari have fed us many times. (laughs) Great hospitality. Just come around, have a meal. Clive and Sandra. Now I'm going to get into trouble because I know I'm trying to think of everyone. But it's just beautiful when people people, um, are for hospitality. What a beautiful gift. What about the gift of compassion? Peraphroditus. He was distressed because of the feeling of concern that he had for those that were suffering in Philippi. Those that he knew were sick. And he gave his heart towards them. I want to commend Carol Richardson. What a wonderful woman. Yeah. We said goodbye to Jenny Norman a couple of weeks ago. And Carol, faithful to the end, loved her. Loved on her right to the end. It's a gift, man. Beautiful. Compassion. Not just thinking about yourself. <laughs> what about the gift of writing? Luke, if he hadn't investigated and studied the life of Jesus in the early church, we wouldn't have the book of Acts. We wouldn't have Luke. We would be in trouble. If your gift is study, study. If your gift is writing, Write so that God's body of Christ can be blessed. Amen. And so I'm not trying to limit anything. I'm just simply saying by naming some of the things, there's such infinite variety in God's church that we can all be grace dispensers. And the last thing I want to say is that Peter encourages us in verse 10, faithfully administer God's grace. Faithfully administer. It's like every opportunity that we lose is a kind of unfaithfulness. I'm not trying to bring any kind of condemnation here. But God's, God's heart for us requires faithfulness in service. He doesn't save us just to sit in the chairs in the pews and kind of, you know, come on a Sunday and, and it's like we like being with each other. It's not just what the, it is about, God's people coming together. But at the end of the day, it's about us going out, leading, being led out of this place into our workplace, whatever our gift is, so that we can be a blessing to other people. And that's what it means to be fruitful. In other words, I'm not just living for myself, I'm grateful for my life, and I love what God has gifted me to be and do, but I'm living for others as well, and that's what it means to be fruitful. Amen? Rooted in Christ, planted in family, finding joy, finding peace together, but at the end of the day, it's so we can be fruitful and use our gifts and love other people with the grace that God supplies to us. And there are many opportunities that we are going to be speaking to you about over the six months that lie ahead, I just want to mention one opportunity for you to hone your gifts, to um, find uh, focus for your gift if you are a business person. We are starting a business forum in this church. Uh, We're launching it in November there's a team coming from the States, some other friends of ours from South Africa, and basically, it's a coaching course that we're going to run throughout the whole of next year. There are eight sessions. If you're involved in business, if you're involved as an entrepreneur, if you'd like to start a business, I want to encourage you to make use of this opportunity. It's for free. You don't have to pay anything. You come, we will feed you. The guys are flying in at their own expense to, bless, to be a blessing and give this gift away, you will receive top coaching for your job. You will need to take a couple of days leave on the, thir- the Thursday and the Friday. The Saturday is the breakfast, which is open to anyone. The, the Thursday and Friday are speaking through the course and what it's going to do over the whole year. I want to encourage you to take leave. If you've got a budget at work, which enables you to um, spend money on uh, your staff and training your staff, use some of that budget to get them here. We want to use this as an opportunity just to be a blessing. Not what can businessmen do for us. How can they give us money for our thing so that our thing can continue to be good? Isn't that how people are? Oh, I need, I need your money. Come to my thing so I can get your money. I want to say to you, this is not about that. This is about we want to invest in you as business people, as entrepreneurs, so that you can get to your, do your thing better, more successfully, so you can be a blessing to God's people and to this uh, community and to the city. What did, what did Jeremiah say? Pray for the, 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 the prosperity of your city so that you too may prosper. If people doing well in business, it's good for all of us. It's good for God's kingdom. Amen? Sorry, was it too strong? This is about giving grace away. This is not about hoarding it. I want to invite you, please come. Let's be a blessing. Let's take our gifts, hone them, so we can give grace away to all of God's people. Amen? November 17, 18, 19. Please stand. i are going to pray. Man, I'm hot. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for what you've lavished on our lives. You've been so generous to us. My prayer, Jesus, is that you would help us to reconfigure our lives and our focus so that we'd be grace dispensers, that we would consciously seek to give our lives away. The gifts that you've given us, the skills we have, the business acumen we have, that we would share it with others so that we can be stewards of your varied, rich, manifold, multicolored grace to other people. And we bless you for that, Jesus. We thank you that's part of our calling, to be fruitful. And your promises is we abide in you. We will be fruitful in many ways, spiritually fruitful, practically fruitful. And that's your promise to us. And so, Jesus, we ask that you'd help us to abide in you and as we abide that we would give ourselves away we would love each other deeply from the heart that love in this community would cover every offense there would be no unforgiveness because you're coming back and we want to get ready for your return faithful stewards of the grace that you've lavished on our lives and I pray your blessing Lord on every single family every single business represented in this church every single gift that you have blessed us with. Lord, let it be used for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone says, Amen.